Well, good morning. We have a lot to get through, so we'll just make a start. A few items which are of interest, I think. The Olympics, in case you didn't realize it. And although I like sport in moderation, I think in some ways I've nearly heard enough about the Olympics to do me for a while. I didn't actually look at the opening ceremony, but I saw extracts from it and... Uh, when I watch news items and on BBC Two. Did you notice how often yin and yang were mentioned by the odd commentator? These symbols, these Chinese superstitious symbols, yin and yang, uh, give the Chinese apparently an understanding of how the world ticks. The outer circle, there are two little squiggly designs in a circle. And the outer circle represents everything, while the black and white shapes inside it represent the interaction between two energies called yin and yang. One the black and the yang the white. And this causes everything to happen. But you know they're not completely black or they're not completely white, there's a little white dot in the black one and there's a little black dot in the white one and they say that's just uh, they cannot exist without each other and uh, that's like life there's always a bit of white in the blackness and there's always a bit of black in the whiteness and and so on and uh, the shape of the yin and the yang sections of the symbol actually gives you a sense of the continual movement of these two energies so they, they say yin to yang and yang to yin causing everything to happen just as things expand and contract and temperature changes from hot to cold and you know the, the, the Chinese are steeped in superstition we had some friends students who were Chinese who used to come out to the house and uh, they were uh, although they went to church and they were nominally Christian they still had a load of baggage of superstition. All the symbols on the plates that you see, well not them all, but the majority of them, all represent some form of superstition. You know, the ancient Olympics were steeped in superstition. And Greek gods and goddesses who, who worshipped and played on Mount Olympus. The modern Olympics were revised by uh, a man called Pierre, he was a baron, Baron Pierre du Coubertin, in 1896. He had a very humanistic uh, philosophy and love for myth. And uh, a chap wrote a book about him and, uh, uh, called Sigmund Lowland, and in his report on Pierre de Coubertin's ideology on Olympism, he, he made these comments. There are not two parts of a man, there are three, body, soul and character. Character is not formed by the mind, but primarily by the body. The first essential characteristic of ancient and of modern Olympism is that of being a religion. By chiselling his body with exercise as a sculptor chisels a statue, 
the athlete of antiquity was honouring the gods. In doing likewise, the modern athlete exalts his country, his race, his flag. I therefore think I was right to create from the outset, around the renewed Olympism, a religious sentiment transformed and widened by the internationalism and democracy which distinguish the present age. But still the same as that which led the young Greeks, ambitious for the triumph of their muscles, to the foot of the altar of Zeus. You know, this tradition of lighting the the flame and the cauldron eventually uh, it would appear that that was introduced in the 1928 games in Amsterdam and ever since then there's been some form of a torch relay and we've had all the fuss recently about the Chinese torch going around the world uh, on an endless journey it seemed and at every Olympic since then there's always been uh, this flame lighted during a ceremony at the site of the ancient Olympics stadium uh, in Greece. Women dressed in robes and they look similar to the ancient Greeks uh, uh, priestesses and they lit, they light a, a, the, the, the torch and I assume it was done this year as well uh, from the from the sun actually using a curved mirror to, to light the torch from the sun's rays and then these high priestesses uh, presents the torch to the first relay runner and so it goes on you know this lighting of the torch and the later lighting the, the, the Olympic flame at the stadium it, it sets a stage in some ways for pagan celebrations and it suits all these interfaith leaders because it's an image an image of uh, multinationalism and multi-religion They know that images and suggestions, rather than facts or truth, will best change values and establish symbols that serve a global agenda. There, there was a, a very influential spiritual leader, James Morton. He was the former dean of New York's famous Cathedral of St. John the Divine. He's been a guiding member of interfaith uh, propaganda and spirituality. But speaking on solidarity at a United Nations conference on human settlements, he offered his pathway to global peace. And looks, look how well it fits in with the Olympic sentiment and vision. What is needed is something parallel to the ancient Acropolis where today's diversity of national and ethnic customs and religious traditions can be celebrated and upheld for the enrichment of everybody. The new Acropolises will provide opportunity for sacred expression 
needed to bind the people of the planet into a viable, meaningful and sustainable solidarity. And as we look around it, we, we, this is already happening. It's happening in churches. It's happening in government. Who would have ever thought that Tony Blair, responsible for the, the uh, Iraq war, to a very large extent, would now be going around as a peace envoy and formed a trust for interfaith cooperation so we have all these organizations and they're trying to join everything up into a one world eventually a one world government and a one world religion and sadly we see it in churches this attitude to change to change the, the gospel of Jesus Christ into something which is not according to scripture there's a growing consensus the common perceptions that it's okay to love and celebrate gods and rituals of ancient times worship with people of other religions idols and practices and they're now considered to be okay more to, to anybody if you believe otherwise and want to state your opinion to other people we know that genuine unity will only come through Jesus Christ Paul said in Colossians beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ but that's enough of, of that here is something much more interesting and I emailed bits of this I think out to some of you uh, a few a week or so ago uh, the Jewish people are returning as we know uh, to their ancestral homeland and you know there are there are tailors in the Temple Institute in Jerusalem's old city and they've started taking measurements of those people who qualify as priests the Kohanim the priestly tribe designated to run the temple services and they have started measuring up these people to, to fit them out for the garments that they will wear in the new temple and the, the director of the temple institute uh, at a press conference he said today in this room Kohanim are being measured for the first time in 2000 years for the type of garments they will be wearing in the rebuilt temple and we know that uh, he goes on to say that they have to wear special garments but if you look in the, in the Old Testament and Leviticus and elsewhere you'll find a, 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 a description of the type of garments that these people are being measured up for in great detail but something else was interesting just, uh, I just got this yesterday the, the, the harp which was used by King David is called a kynar and it was it was lost in antiquity but there were, there's a couple 
who are making these harps again. 25 years ago, Micah and Shoshana Harari brought this harp back into existence and they now build harps for the Temple Institute for when the new temple will be built. They have learned that there were 4,000 Levites who played harps in the ancient temple and taught their children from age 3 to play the harp, the chauffeur and trumpet and they are looking for a restitution of these things. In a recent interview, uh, the Harari said, these are Jewish instruments. The fact that they've returned means good times will be coming. There will be a time when we will play these instruments in the temple. We won't have to worry about making money or terrorism or health problems. We will sit around and play our harps and thank Hashem, that's God, for everything and bring into this world a great joy, a great, great joy, he says. The Hararis migrated from America to Israel because of the biblical prophecies about the regathering of the Jews. And they are looking forward to the coming of their Messiah. You know, the Jewish temple, if we look into Ezekiel, you realize that the temple will be rebuilt, but it will be desecrated again by the Antichrist, unfortunately. Before Christ comes the second time, The Jews will be purged of unbelievers and only those that repent will enter into the kingdom. Now, with that in mind, it's interesting that today the feast of Tisha B'Av falls on this Sunday, the 10th of August. You know, throughout Jewish history, we've spoken about this particular day before many tragic events befell the Jews on this day, the 9th of Av in Hebrew, Tisha B'Av the destruction of the first temple built by Solomon and the destruction of the second temple in AD 70 both occurred hundreds of years apart on this particular day and there are several other very uh, poignant things which happen to Jews on this particular day very strange and an article from a Jewish friend of mine and she says on Sunday we will observe a complete fast 24 hours without food or water as we mourn the destruction of Hashim's temple Non-Jews sometimes raise an eyebrow that the Jewish people should undertake such a rigorous fast for the destruction of a building. They do so only because they do not understand what we mourn. It is not the stones and mortar. We mourn the truth that the manifest presence of the Holy One of Israel was in our midst where the temple stood. Hashem's presence 
and involvement in our world is hidden by the seemingly independent and arbitrary working of nature and history. But when the temple stood, it was a breach in the mask, a window through which Hashem radiated his light into the world. In the temple, Hashem's involvement in our world was openly displayed for all to see. Three times, the children of Israel were given the supreme gift of a manifestly divine presence in our midst. In the tabernacle, the first temple, and the second temple. Three times we fail to appreciate, honor, and respect this gift as we were called to do, and we lost the manifest presence of Hashem from our midst. Isn't that sad? Ichabod, the glory has departed. She goes on, This is what we mourn, for this we deeply repent and pray that by Hashem's compassionate grace we will become what he called us to be a holy people that he might erect in our midst again his holy house for as surely as the sun will rise tomorrow there will be a third temple for the prophet Ezekiel makes that abundantly and manifestly clear to that temple according to Zechariah all nations will come to worship the one and only king, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, in the restored kingdom of Hashem on this earth. And they will go up, in relation to what we're going to say later, they go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. You read that in Zechariah chapter 14. May that day come soon, and may our fasting and prayer be acceptable in his sight this weekend, and may we all say Amen very sad that their Messiah has come but there will come a time when they too will recognize Jesus at his second coming as their Messiah now we have a lot to read today I'm going to read quite a bit here and there so let us move on to Deuteronomy chapter 16 and we read just from verse 13, just a few verses. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. Let's read that again. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. And thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are within thy gates. Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose. There we are again. That's where it has to be. Because the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase and in all the works of thine hands, therefore thou shalt surely rejoice. It's going to be a great rejoicing. The Feast of Tabernacles wants to be a feast of rejoicing. And so we come to the third feast mentioned in Deuteronomy 16. We looked at Passover. Passover 
is past for us who have been saved. All these feasts, as we say, look forward to a time in which we're living and beyond. Passover for us has occurred. The Lord, the Lamb of God, has been slain. His blood has been shed. And a righteous God has seen the blood applied to our lives. And the wrath of God has passed over. Passed over each one of us. Because the sinless, spotless Lamb of God has borne that wrath for me. Because because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And then we came to the Feast of Weeks. That has been fulfilled in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And as Jesus said to those who believed in him, the Comforter shall come. I will pray the Father and he shall send the Comforter and he shall abide with you forever. With those who were followers of the Lord Jesus, the Comforter was coming into their lives and he would abide with them forever. He is dwelling within us. Our bodies, we are told, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Christ is with us in spirit as we meet as he promised where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the power of the Holy Spirit in our in our midst it's much error talks about the Holy Spirit these days we do not pray to the Holy Spirit there's nowhere in scripture where we are instructed or we have an example of anyone praying to the Holy Spirit we do not invite him into our services because he is with us as we meet in the name of Jesus guiding, directing and leading us in worship directing our worship and praise honouring the Lord Jesus Christ we do not pray take not thy Holy Spirit from me because we have the assurance of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shall abide with us forever We do not pray for another Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been outpoured and spread abroad in the church. And there can never be another Pentecost. The only way you can have another Pentecost is for the Holy Spirit to go away and come back again. And he's not going to do that because he's going to abide with us forever. The work of Jesus was completed at Calvary. He said it is finished. He said to his father, I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Henceforth, the work of the Holy Spirit is continuing the work of God in the world. He could not come until Christ had returned to his father. He comes convicting of sin, of righteousness and coming judgment. His work, Jesus said, was to glorify him. And in this word likewise, it says, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. 
And so we have the fulfillment of those first two feasts from this chapter in Deuteronomy. Now we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. If you want to read a bit about it, it will, re- it will occur in the millennium. The, the completion of this feast will occur in, in the millennium. Read Zechariah 14 verses 16 to 21 we haven't time to read all these passages today but it's it's worth pointing out it hasn't yet occurred but it will the final fulfillment of this will occur during the millennium this feast points to the future of Israel throughout scripture the prophets all pointed to a time when there would be a restitution of all things a time as we have seen in that report from the Jews, they're looking forward to a time of rest and peace. But a lot has to happen to that nation before that takes place. Look at Isaiah chapter 11. And you'll see just what this time that they're looking forward to is going to be like. She'll come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes. Neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins and when that takes place what's going to happen the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed the young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the suckling the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people and to it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious and so on read that chapter again when you go home when will these times take place well as we said they'll take place at the second coming of Christ to the earth but look at what our passage says in verse 13 of chapter 16 thou shalt observe the feast of tabernacles after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine 
we look at verses 14 and 15 we see there's going to be a great time a great time of rejoicing as these religious Jews nowadays still look forward to that time as the chap Rari said of great great joy two events before these people in Deuteronomy could go to the Feast of Tabernacles before they could enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles they had to do two things they had to gather in the corn and they had to harvest the wine and before this event can happen in the future in the millennium two things have to take place I'm going to read a passage in scripture in Revelation chapter 14. Now I have a Bible here which I only use on occasions. But I was interested in the subtitles that this chapter has put in in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, 14 at the head of this little subsection he says the harvest the harvest and he gives various references Joel 3.13 we'll be reading that in a few moments 2 Thessalonians 1.7-10 Isaiah 11.4 Ezekiel 38-39 read those when you get a chance but let us read them the harvest remember the two things that had to take place before they could celebrate the feast of tabernacles in the time of Deuteronomy this will have to take place before the fulfillment of the feast of tabernacles in the millennium and I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle and another angel came out of the temple crying, uh, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe and he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped the harvest the corn had to be reaped then we come to the next few verses and this chap here has headed this little section the vintage gathering the grapes here's what it says and another angel came out of the temple which is in the heaven on he also carrying a sharp sickle and another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle saying thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God and the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even onto the horse bridles 
by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. What a, a dreadful vision that is for to read. Now these two fulfillments of this prophecy here we have to go back to Joel. I want to read in Joel. Joel chapter 3. And we'll just read a few verses in Joel chapter 3. It's necessary to read these, I'm afraid, to get the picture. Uh, but it takes a bit of time. 3 verse 12. Joel 3 verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Put the sickle into the corn and gather the grapes. Put the sickle in and then the vats are full. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The valley of thrashing. God is deciding. God is judging. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And it seems reasonably obvious that that prophecy in Joel 3 is here being repeated in Revelation chapter 14 the time is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ back to his temple in Jerusalem his feet shall stand on Mount Olivet he will come through the, the gate which is blocked up the golden gate in Jerusalem why all the, the, the Jews want to be buried outside that gate because they know that their Messiah will come through that way and there will be a time in the harvest a time of dividing dividing the sheep from the goats the wheat from the tares he shall judge the Gentiles who have ill-treated his brethren the Jews there's a lot of misunderstanding about the parable of the sheep and the goats people don't seem to, to understand it they have it down as the, 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 the judging of, at the great white throne the Athanasian creed says uh, those who have done good will go to heaven and those who haven't will be cast out that's not the attitude that's how, you don't get to heaven by doing good works it's the dividing of the nations the judging of the nations those who have rejected the Jewish nation God's chosen people his brethren and those who haven't you know this guy McLaren in the, the, the emerging church they, he's part of a group called uh, Matthew 25 and, and where it says inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren you have done it unto me they say that's all to do with social justice in helping to solve 
global poverty and AIDS and all that kind of stuff. All the stuff that, that Rick Warren's into. It's a complete misinterpretation uh, of the parable of the sheep and the goats. But there you are. Christ comes in judgment, as we read in those verses. He's coming in judgment to execute, execute judgment upon the nations. And he will divide them up. He comes in righteousness to execute judgment. He's wearing a golden crown, speaking of the, the righteousness of the judge. And he will judge in righteousness. And those who have mistreated his beloved people, the harvest has come and they will be cast into punishment. And now we come to the gathering of the vintage. Those verses from 18 onwards in chapter 14 of Revelation. You know there it says that the angel comes from the altar. Speaking of the fire of God's wrath. Of consuming judgment. And the result of these actions is one of total desolation. Unsparing judgment on the enemies of God who have risen up in battle against his word and against the truth. The wrath of God is here being poured out. What a vivid picture we have of the wrath and judgment of God. Like treading grapes in a wine press. The red juice resembling blood from the army surrounding Jerusalem in those last days. 200 miles. The blood of the enemies shall flow through the land of Palestine. Look at Isaiah. Turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 63. Just a few verses. I've mentioned this before there. Wherefore art thou red, verse 2, Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and the people, there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger. This is, this is God speaking. The Lord Jesus Christ will tread them in his anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled on my garments and I will, st and will stain all my garment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked and there was none to help and I wondered that there was none to behold, uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury it upheld me. I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury and I will bring down their strength to the earth. In both the harvest of the corn and the gathering in of the vintage it is judgment against those who have rejected the God of Israel. And the Feast of Tabernacles could not start in Deuteronomy until the corn had been gathered and the vintage had been gathered. This wonderful time of restitution which we shall see 
in the millennium cannot take place until the great tribulation and all the battles and troubles and, and uh, enemies of God have been destroyed in that final harvest the harvest of the corn and the harvest of the vintage this must take place before the final establishment of the messianic reign of Christ as it so clearly says in Deuteronomy and that type will be fulfilled eventually in the millennium after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and wine and thou shalt rejoice in that feast as Zechariah says the Gentiles will go up and they will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ what a wonderful picture an awesome picture and yes the picture of the future reign of Christ upon this earth during that messianic reign may God help these Jews today so near to the kingdom so close to the truth if only they would recognize the Lord Jesus Christ now as their saviour so much trouble that's prophesied for that nation is, is the heading straight forward there are times of great torture and trouble for those people still oh if only they would see in Jesus Christ their true Messiah but it says he came unto his own and his own received him not but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name Amen